Just um, sitting, sitting there, um, listening to testimonies, um, just want to give thanks to God for, for you guys. And um, it's just great to be with family. Um, we've been here for almost two years now, and um, we're just, we just feel like it feels like family. And you guys have been so warm and so, so welcoming. And um, it's just great to hear about the way that people serve each other. I know... All, all of us serving in, in just really rich, meaningful and, um, in, and lovely ways and, and God is so good to, to put us uh, in a family. So, so thank you and I just want to honour you and, and um, thank you guys for, for that. Um, we're we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 1 this morning and I hope you'll uh, keep it open uh, in front of you as we go through the passage. Uh, and to begin with, I want, I want to try and um, ask you to put yourself in Mary's shoes, a young girl in a, in a highly religious society where everyone does everything by the book, especially marriage, uh, and in this kind of conservative religious society, uh, if there's one thing that you should try to avoid uh, when you're engaged to be married, that one thing that you should probably try to avoid is getting pregnant before you get married. Uh, You might be able to get away with all kinds of other infractions in that kind of society, but to get pregnant before you get married would probably make you the talk of the town, Uh, would probably lead to you being completely shunned and utterly shamed. Uh, while I was preparing this, I came across an article that was written just earlier this year in January. It, it went like this. Most relationships experience problems every now and then, and more often than not, couples manage to work things out. But what if the problem was infidelity and a baby was conceived as a result? 26-year-old Layla is a married woman who fell pregnant with another man's baby while her husband was working out of the country and she has no idea how to break this life-changing and devastating news to the man she's married to for almost four years. That's 26-year-old Layla. Now, I might be able to hear you all saying, well, hang on, Kieran, Mary's problem wasn't infidelity. And you're right, her problem was not infidelity. But here's the problem. We know that. She knows, uh, she knows that. But how on earth does she explain that to Joseph? And how on earth does she explain that to the people in her village that she lives in? That yes, I got pregnant out of wedlock, but it wasn't because I was unfaithful. How on earth is she supposed to explain that to Joseph? I reckon it would have felt much like 26-year-old Layla felt. She has no idea how to break this life-changing and devastating news. And it turns out she did have a hard time explaining herself to Joseph because it turns out Joseph didn't actually believe her when she told him what happened and who can blame him. In verse 19 it says her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Now if I'm honest, I've always thought, Joseph, man, you're being a bit harsh. 
But I think that's because I wasn't seeing it from his perspective. You see, there's something I know that that he doesn't really know, that he doesn't really see. I mean, look at it from Joseph's perspective. If Mary had been unfaithful to him before they were even married, what kind of a woman was she? If she'd gotten pregnant before they were even married, what kind of marriage were they going to have? Now, the other thing I find interesting in this story is that God allows Joseph to kind of linger in this terrible situation with this broken marriage with an apparently unfaithful wife. God God allows Joseph to sit in that situation and God allows him to come up with a solution for the situation, which was divorce. He he allows all of that to kind of sit and fester and, and continue before he comes in with his solution to the problem and to the situation. He allows it he, he allows the problem to continue. He allows a solution to be made, a human solution. So friends, as you make plans for 2020, as you think of solutions for the problems that you're currently facing in your life and come up to the best of your ability with solutions to that problem, are you able to trust God with a terrible situation? Are you open to having your plans interrupted by God? Could it even be possible that this dark and empty situation that you're facing is actually pregnant with possibility? Verse 20 says, But just when Joseph had resolved to divorce Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now, this is actually the, the radical turning point in, in the story, uh, after which Joseph does, does this massive 180 and changes his plans entirely. So that in verse 24, it says, When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. How did he change his mind so completely? How did this 180 come about? What did the angel actually say to him? Well, that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. What did the angel say to him that led to this turnaround? What was this intervention? What did the angel say? The first thing that the angel said in verse 20 was that this child was born of the Holy Spirit. Have a look at verse 20. Joseph the angel said, Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from where? From who? From the Holy Spirit. Matthew is at pains throughout this story to show that this baby is not from Joseph, but from God. He uses the exact same phrase. If you look at verse 18, that, that what was found in Mary, Mary was found to be child, with child from the Holy Spirit. And it's also why, if you notice at the end, after Joseph takes Mary to be his wife, it says Joseph had no marital relationship relations with Mary until she had born a son. Matthew is at pains to show where this baby came from. And it wasn't from Joseph. He was born of the Holy Spirit. Now, actually, this birth actually 
kind of takes us way back to a promise that was made in, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve turned their backs on God and plunged the world uh, into sin and into corruption, God made a promise to Eve. And it was a promise about one of Eve's children. Can you remember what the promise was? The promise was that Eve would have a son who would one day crush the head of the snake. Even though the snake would bite his heel, Eve would have a son who would crush the head of the snake. In other words, to reverse the consequences of sin and to put the world back together. God promised a snake crusher. It's why in Genesis um, 1 to 11, you have all, and throughout Genesis, you have all these genealogies uh, of, of this person, had this son and this son and, and this son, because there's a, been a promise that one of Eve's sons is going to be the snake crusher. And so we're looking, is this the son who's going to be the snake crusher, who crushes the head of the serpent? And it's also why throughout the Old Testament, there are these, all these stories about uh, women having trouble conceiving and having a, having a child. It's in the context of God making this promise that one of Eve's children will be the snake crusher. And it's like the forces of darkness are trying to prevent the birth of this snake crusher who's going to, to reverse evil and crush the head of the snake. And so one of those couples in the Old Testament was, was Abraham and Sarah, where God said, you know, look at the stars and you'll have, you'll have a child. And Sarai laughs her head off, um, but they uh, try and they pray. Uh, and then God opens her womb and eventually she has a son called Isaac, which means laughter. But the difference between the, that, that story of Abraham and Sarah and, uh, and Mary and Joseph is that in the case of Abraham and Sarah, they were actually trying to have a baby and God facilitated that natural process of their conceiving. Whereas Mary and Joseph, they weren't even trying. They weren't even trying to have a baby. They didn't even want a baby. And the other, the other interesting thing I find in this, this text uh, is that in verse 18 it says that this the birth of Jesus Christ, it talks about uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. Well, in the Greek, um, the word for birth is not the usual word used for birth in the Greek. It's actually the word Genesis. This is the Genesis of Jesus Christ. So that brings us back to the book of Genesis, doesn't it? So just as in creation where there was absolutely nothing and the spirit hovered over the darkness and over the chaos and then out of, out of God created something out of this blackness and created something out of nothing. So here we have Mary's womb which is completely empty. No desire to have kids, no intention, no involvement of Mary or Joseph and God brings about a new creation. A new genesis, new life, restoration. And the thing, other thing I find so fascinating and beautiful about this story is that we actually learn so much about the work and person of the Holy Spirit, about who he is and what he does. Because the work of the Holy Spirit all throughout the New Testament is to make Jesus present inside of people, to make the presence and power and person of Jesus a reality, a living reality inside of hearts in which he didn't exist beforehand. It's what the Holy Spirit is all about, bringing Jesus to life inside of people. In other words, what the Spirit did in Mary's womb physically, the Spirit does in people's hearts spiritually 
bringing Jesus to life, making him a living, breathing reality. The word become flesh, even literally at Christmas, the word become flesh, but in us as well, as we take on the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we enter into fellowship with the Lord Jesus. That's who the Spirit is. That's what he does. And so in John's version of of Christmas, verses 12 and 13, he says, To all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but born of God. This is the new birth that we get brought to life, born of God. It's why Charles Wesley, in his beautiful carol, says, Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. The second birth is being born again. When the Spirit puts Jesus to life, brings our dead hearts to life and puts Jesus and the Spirit of Jesus inside of us. It's beautiful. Point one, the angel tells Joseph, this child is born of the Holy Spirit. What else does he say to Joseph? In verse 21, he says, Jesus is born to save. He's born to save in verse 21. Um, Ruth and I have obviously recently just been through the process of choosing uh, baby names uh, and um, we didn't know at any time whether we were going to have a boy and a girl so you've got to get the list of girl names and the list of um, boy names and and as you keep having girls you you sort of your boy list is like untouched and and you've got to keep replenishing uh, your your girl girl list but uh, names names are important the meaning of names are important to me and and you you might feel the same about people's names so jazz Jasmine means gift from God. Uh, Nelly means shining light or bright shining light. Uh, and, and Olivia is, is a reference to, to an olive tree, which is a symbol of, of peace and, and dignity and, and beauty. Uh, names are, are meaningful. Uh, I, uh, I thought I'd have some fun and I'd look up the, some popular names in 2019 and, and, and not only popular names, but the worst, um, some of the worst or weirdest names of 2019. So, so some of the boy ones um, were um, Cletus from Simpsons, uh, if any of you are fans of, of that. Um, boy, Danger, boy called Danger. Uh, and um, one which I think is a little bit pretentious uh, and, and very unusual indeed. Um, uh, one of the names, uh, boy names of 2019, King Messiah. Uh, King Messiah. So uh, that's some high expectations to live up to. Um, uh, and some, girl, some of the girls' names. Um, Shy. Um, uh, Chardonnay. Come here, Chardonnay. Stop doing that. Um... Uh, Vegas, Vegas, interesting, and uh, I think my personal favourite was Pansy. Uh, come here, Pansy. Uh, so, so there you go. There, there's some odd names, but 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 one of the privileges of of being a parent um, is that you you and, and responsibilities is that you get to choose the name uh, of your child. Um, some do 
make that choice better uh, than others, admittedly. Um, but, um, but that's a privilege and a responsibility that we have. But, but what we see in this story is that Joseph and Mary didn't actually get to have that privilege or responsibility. Look at verse 21. Mary will give, the angel says to Joseph, Mary will give birth to a son and here's what you're going to name him. It's my choice. Jesus. That's what you'll name him because he will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus is actually a Greek translation of a Hebrew name, Joshua. So Joshua and Jesus are the same name. And Joshua and Jesus means the Lord saves. Yeshua, the Lord saves. And as the story continues and as this little baby boy grows up, we see that he delivers people in all kinds of ways. He heals the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He opens deaf ears. He comforts the downtrodden and the brokenhearted. He feeds the hungry. But ultimately, Jesus came to save people from their sins. That's what the angel tells Joseph. Call him Jesus because he will save his people from what? From their sins. Because That is the source of all of our other problems. Yes, disaster comes from many different sources, whether it's accidents or even forgetfulness or disease. But the biggest disaster, the angel says to Joseph, the biggest disaster for all of us is to be at odds with God because of our sin. And that's what Jesus has come to resolve That is what Jesus has come to save us from. Because that is our biggest problem. I am my own worst enemy. My own worst enemy is me. And you know, I was thinking as our world becomes more and more divided, as the public debate gets more shrill and more shouty, as we become more convinced that the enemy are those people over there or the enemy is that problem out there as people seem to be getting more and more anxious more and more hopeless more and more despairing more and more shrill and shouty i think this is a helpful reminder for all of us ultimately jesus didn't come to save us from a problem out there he came to save us from a problem in here Yes, there are problems out there. Yes, Jesus came to rescue us from the problems out there. But the problem ultimately is the problem of sin and that is what he came to resolve. Do you know the name Alexander Solzhenitsyn? He's someone who had every reason to believe that the problem was out there and the problem were those people over there. He is someone who suffered in the gulags of Soviet Russia under Stalin's evil Soviet Russian regime. Horrendous evil that the world has never seen before. He had every reason to take on a victim mentality, saying the problem's out there. But he rejected that idea that his greatest enemy was out there. Even he concluded that his worst enemy was in here when he penned these famous words. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties, but right through every human heart. 
and through all human hearts. The line separating good and evil passes through every human heart. The problem is in here. And so the saviour that we're looking for doesn't come from the right side of politics. Scott Morrison or Donald Trump saving us from higher taxes. And the saviour that we're looking for doesn't come from the left. Greta Thunberg or the United Nations come to save us from climate change. Ultimately, the saviour that we're looking for came from heaven to earth to save us from our sins. Friends, that's not to say that they're not to engage in political life and public life. Far from it. We should be totally salt and light in the world. But the thing I find so fascinating about Alexander Solzhenitsyn is that if there was anyone that you could, any one per, single person that you could attribute to the collapse of the evil Soviet Russian regime, guess who it would be? Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who saw that his biggest problem was in here and not out there. Isn't that amazing? When you get, when you get that right bit in place, that the other, other bit follows, that Alexander Solzhenitsyn, putting Jesus in his place, he was a committed Christian, and experienced him as a saviour who saves us from our sins, that he was also able to address the evil of the Soviet Russian regime. Are you tracking with me on this? Jesus at the centre. And I think that'll help us become less shrill, less shouty, less anxious, less panicky and less despairing as we see Jesus at the centre and put him where he belongs. The angel tells Joseph that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. The angel tells Joseph that he was born to save us from our sins, verse 21. And then verses 22 and 23, Jesus is born to be God with us. Have a look at verse 22. Matthew says, All this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, there are three crucial times in Matthew's gospel where we're told that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And it's at the start, at the middle and at the end. So here we have in chapter 1, we're told that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And then in Matthew chapter 18, in the middle, Jesus says, whenever two or three of you are gathered, what? There I am with you, Emmanuel. And then we get to the end, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Jesus says to his disciples, he's about to ascend into the glory, into glory at the right hand of the Father. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you and what? Lo, I will be with you to the end of the age. At three crucial points in Matthew's gospel, he's telling us Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is God with us. That's a unique claim of Christianity. God become with us. 
No other religion dares to make such a claim. Definitely not the pagans of the first century who believed that spirit was good and flesh was bad and the one thing you had to do was to keep them separate and the idea that spirit would become flesh was absolute anathema to pagans. The spiritual becoming physical and being with us. The idea is also abhorrent in Orthodox Islam, to think that the all-powerful, transcendent, almighty God would lower himself to become a baby is the biggest stumbling block for, for, for Muslims in believing Christianity, that the almighty would lower himself. It's the height of blasphemy. But it's the core of what we believe. It's why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus is both fully God, born of God, and fully man. The two in one. It's a hard one to get your head around. But Dale Bruner, one of the commentators I was reading, he makes a helpful point, I think. It goes like this. The believer who has, in becoming a believer, experienced a kind of virgin birth through the miracle of faith has little difficulty in believing that there was an actual virginal conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. The personal miracle makes the historical miracle credible. In other words, once you've been born again, once Jesus has been born in your heart by the Holy Spirit, you won't have trouble believing that the Holy Spirit put Jesus in Mary's womb. Once you have the personal miracle makes it easier to believe the historical miracle because you know the power of God to bring new birth. Which is why we can so boldly sing the third verse of the carol, O come all ye faithful. God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb. Very God, begotten, not created, O come let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Jesus is Emmanuel, God, with us. And he abhors not the virgin's womb. And so God accomplishes a complete turnaround. In Joseph, through the angel of the Lord. At the start of the story, he's heading this way towards divorce. And at the end of the story, he's heading that way, taking Mary as his wife. At the start of the story, he thought his wife was unfaithful. At the end of the story, he's changed his mind about a whole lot of things through God's intervention, through God's word to him. Now he knows that Jesus is born of the Holy Spirit and not of Joseph or Mary. Jesus is born to save us from our sins. And Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. So my prayer for you this Christmas and New Year's and heading into the new year as you go about making your plans, that God might interrupt you with his word, with his solution for whatever it is that you're looking at. And that you would be open to that. That you would see 
that maybe the dark situation that you're facing is pregnant with possibility. My prayer for you is that God's Spirit will bring Jesus to your hearts afresh and anew more and more from one degree of glory to another, conformed more and more into his likeness, bearing his suffering and his rising in yourself. My prayer for you is that you would be assured by God's Spirit that Jesus came to rescue you from your sins, and he did it. It is finished. You are his child, belonging to him. And my prayer for you is that you would know God, our Emmanuel, Jesus. God is with us, no matter what you're facing, in every high and in every low. God is with us. Amen.